Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures forever. Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. In the Lenten wilderness, we are dealing with division, with decision, and with derision day by day. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved, a weekly moment of contrition brings the comfort of order and the power of pardon. When we worship, we find our tongue for confession. In the living of these days, as Dr. Indick said in another connection, we may need to find a way forward that is less naive in its assumptions, more modest in its ambitions, more humble in its approach, and more imaginative in its, its anticipation of what can go wrong. You are known. You are loved. In that confidence, during the singing of the Kyrie, let us offer our silent confession. Good news, trust, good news. Our past is tamed, our future is open. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, 
I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
beloved of God, I invite you to rise up for the singing of the gospel, the Gloria Patri, and also please pray with me, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12, with the antiphon. on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Glory to you, O Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What will we eat? Or, What will we drink? Or, What will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Uh, 
Our students for their spring break, some of them, went farming. Now, some others went to Ephesus to study New Testament archaeology, and yet others went to Italy and heard the Pope and saw beautiful architecture. Still others went with Habitat for Humanity to build houses in West Virginia, and a few of our musical leaders went to Oklahoma and Michigan to celebrate the beauty of music in the heartland, but some went farming. Imagine the joy to one who grew up in a small farming village, who from an early age was familiar with the sight and the scent of the barn, who knew the hand feel of taking sap and boiling syrup, who knew about cleaning and cleansing, who knew that growing up. What a melisma, a joy to listen in to the novel foreign new experiences of this group who went for their spring break farming in farthest western Massachusetts. Chopping wood, a new experience. Cleaning out the barn, a new experience. Milking, milking cows, a new experience. Sap from the tree, boiled in the sugar house, 40 gallons of sap to one of syrup, a new experience. Then going to bed early, going to bed tired, going to bed early and tired. A new experience. These Lenten weeks in the wilderness, we travel with Jesus and learn to deal with the thickets of life, to deal with decision, to deal with division, to deal with derision, though trouble and evil are more than derision. I count that as the sermon title today because, among other things, it rhymes with decision and division, and I want you to carry the sermons home. We, uh, in our time, know the experience of wilderness. We've had a winter of it, have we not? The desert of global terror, the forest of economic collapse, the badlands of political strife, the sands of personal anxiety. We have had a winter in which we know the wilderness. Ah, now the mind goes back to the farm, and for one who not only grew up in a small village, but also later ministered in even smaller villages, to think now the mind casts its memory upon the front lawn in a summer day in what passes for summer in the farthest reaches of New York State on the Canadian border. Coming toward me is the matriarch of the family, Maisie. She, now 27 years ago, she who had been up at four to prepare the meal for the milking and then taught elementary school every day of her working life and then went to church meetings and came home and fixed the dinner meal and then went to bed early and went to bed tired and went to bed early and tired and knew as our students found out about the rigor of daily life. She hands me in this cameo an iced tea or is it a lemonade? We notice the day's own trouble along the farm. We notice the tractor that isn't running, the, the farmhand that didn't show, the veterinarian who is on the way, usually not a good sign. And then she offers a verse. She who was as bright, smart, keen a person as I've ever known, with a mind as tough as that of Susan B. Anthony, a mind as sharp as that of Elizabeth Cady Stanton, she hands the drink. There's a brilliance in the diamond of her gaze. And she says, 
and she will forever be clothed in memory in this verse. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. And it's not because she remembered the verse or recited it or knew it in the King James Version that she carries it for all time. It's because she lived it. She received the gift of faith, knew the verse, have no anxiety about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. <laughs> Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. That is, here is the gospel, Sursum Corda, lift up your hearts. Here is the good news. You may face the world free from the world. That is the preaching of the resurrection of the crucified. You may face the world free from the world, or as Maisie put it, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Isn't that an intriguing notion that not magically or mysteriously, but just in terms of the way things are, there is a trouble congruent with, fluent with the language of, each single day for six billion humans on a small planet, it shouldn't surprise us that there's a little friction, a little contention, a little difference shaped for each day. One of the troubles the preacher faces, at least come Sunday, is to find her or his way down into the passage of the day. And you know, this is one way to put it, or my way of putting it, there are other ways to teach it, that every passage like this has four layers, four voices, we'll call it, in the hymnic tradition that created Boston University. There's the soprano voice, that of Jesus of Nazareth, the lead, the melody. There's the alto voice of the text, always the most important voice. Those altos, so wonderful, so important. Down underneath the text, it's where memory became hope and hearing became preaching. The 27 books of the New Testament have this one interest. Their understanding of cross and resurrection is the possibility of the speaking and hearing of a good word, a God word, a saving word, a healing word, an intervening word, such as this morning for you. You may face the world free from the world. There's the tenor voice today, that of Matthew, the writer. Could have been another, Mark or Luke today, Matthew. And then there's the basso profundo, the bass voice carrying through all of time. Actually, you are inside that voice here. The way the text was amended, adapted, completed over time. I hoped to find in the soprano voice the residence of this verse, let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day, but twas not to be. You'll look at it by comparison with Luke and readily recognize that it's in addition, as Boltmann says, words not typical, these worldly wisdom words of Jesus. So I hope then to find the residence of the passage in the next, the alto, so important, the alto, the cross-resurrection preaching, but there again, no, this is not from the alto voice either. There are some similarities to other alto strains in the New Testament, particularly this word so important to you and to me, anxiety, merimna is the Greek word. It flashes up at some of the highest points, the peaks of the New Testament. 
You'll recognize them. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your marimna anxiety upon him he cares for you. But we remember it for the next antiquated, later apocalyptic language and imagery which the author of 1 Peter in the early 2nd century, it wasn't Peter, but somebody who honors Peter with this baptismal sermon, 1 Peter, says, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, isn't that striking language? Think of Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, 32. This is the passage we best remember for, I mean, brethren, the time has grown very short. Let those who have wives live as if they had none. Those who buy and sell as if they had no goods. The form of this world is passing away. But what does he begin that paragraph with? But merimna, anxiety. I would have you be anxious for nothing, says Paul. Or, of course, Matthew 6, as we've heard today, or even in 2 Corinthians 11:28. you remember that long list of woes that Paul names? He's had a hard life. Thirst, hunger, shipwreck, the lash, 39 times, five times under the lash, and then the highest, the crowning anxiety, marimna of them all. Anyone in ministry will understand fully Anxiety for the churches every hour of every day. So there's in the alto voice a recognition of anxiety, but it's really, it's Matthew today. This verse 634 comes most probably from the hand of Matthew. It's a beautiful summary, isn't it? Teachers, Maisie was a teacher. Teachers like summaries. Have no anxiety about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. And we in the bubble of the, of the basso profundo, we will want to apply this little look at 634 in the Gospel of St. Matthew to our own lives together. Will we not? We want to face the world free from the world? That's the good news. It will give us a chance to offer a few practical suggestions on how to face the day's own trouble. Remember, every day may have encased in it, organically, some trouble just congruent to that day. Or maybe your lives are different. At least that's the way with me, with us. We might say when you rise in the morning regarding anxiety, marimna, derision, trouble, evil, expect it. Accept it, address it, and forget it. Expect it every day there's going to be one phone call or maybe an email, God bless email, coming across your desk that might be less than fully present, less than fully pleasant and fully present. Maybe there will be a, a note or a visit, morning or afternoon. Be prepared. Accept it. Say, I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? Here I am. Sit down. This is today's trouble. Good. I wanted to get done with it today. Address it. Address it in the moment if you can, not to react but to respond. Because, fourth, you're going to need to forget it. I'm putting a little emphasis here because the day's own trouble means that tomorrow is another day. We had a situation this winter out on Commonwealth where one of the trolleys, one of the subways, was stuck. And that was all right for about 15 minutes until the second one came and the third one came. And pretty soon we had a, a situation. Some people who had an experience of the day's own trouble. 
Tomorrow is bringing another package. So before the end today, bundle up in a little box, put a ribbon on it, maybe in the evening, maybe through prayer or quiet or journaling, and mentally take it down and put it on the curb. Forget it and leave it. For example, you may be misquoted. Now, in one sense, to be quoted anymore is to be misquoted. You may be misquoted on the internet or in the newspaper. And you're going to need to find a response that day. You see it and you realize that's not what I said at all. It's not what I meant at all. So you're going to need to either respond or quietly place that in your heart, remembering what Basil of Caesarea said, that there is no reputation for a palpable absurdity. You may need to respond or not, deal with it one way or another. You may, for example, find that you fly off the handle, not that that would happen to anybody present. I'm speaking more in general, say of the radio congregation, that you may find that you're angry at something that's said and you retort and reply by saying to your interlocutor, one of us is wrong and I think it's you, and you go back. And there's a moment when you regret and you have compunction and you think to yourself, I, that's not my best self. You bemoan and you're self-critical. And then when you're done with that, may I make a suggestion? Go back down the hall, knock on the door and say, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm sorry, I was, I was wrong. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. You may find in Boston that you've driven the wrong way on a one-way street. A one-way street going north and you're headed south in the rain and in the dark and pretty soon the rest in the car are a little bit nervous. And finally you find your way to the edge of the road and you say, wow. And you smile and say, wasn't that an adventure? And they frown. <laughs> you know, it recalls the story of the policeman who pulled over three elderly women who were driving speeding on Route 95. He pulled them over and said, you're going 95 miles an hour. And the driver said, well, that's what the speed limit sign said, 95. He said, no, that's not the speed limit, that's the route number. And he was about to go after the ticket. He noticed in the back seat a woman white as a sheet, and he said, are you all right with what happened on Route 95? And she said, oh, 95 was all right, but you need to understand that before we were on Route 95, we were on Route 220, and that was a real ride. <laughs> Have a little bounce in the day, a little humor, a little looseness, a little flexibility. You may find that a colleague has disrupted your work and you write out in response to that trouble a long typed letter on the computer and then you print it. And here is what you will do. You take the letter and you put it in the left hand drawer of your de desk and you come back three days later and you read through the letter and you put it in the left-hand drawer of your desk, and you come back 72 hours later, and you repeat it at every 72-hour interval until you're ready to set it aside. That can be one way of dealing with the day's own trouble. Or for our students today, 4 a.m., your roommate comes in late, drunk, and sick, and you take him or her aside and you say, all right, Today, tonight, I'm going to help you. And you put him to bed, and you clean him up, and you clean him up again. And then 2 p.m. Sunday, now this is still the same day, you may not have gotten up in time for church. Not everybody who's an undergraduate gets up in time for church every Sunday. You will go to him and say, all right, I've done this once. That's the last time. The next time this happens, you're going to be sleeping permanently 
in the hallway. And then you've dealt with the day's own trouble. And you go on the esplanade for a bicycle ride and you find your way into the open future. There are examples of plenty in life of the kind of trouble that comes with each day. Something congruent to what is inside that day. And the capacity in faith to respond is to say to yourself, I face the world free from the world. That's faith. To face this world free from the anxiety that can trap us and can enslave us and can keep us from becoming our own best selves. You have some help over time. You have, remember Kierkegaard? Hardly anyone wrote more about anxiety than Kierkegaard. He called it lovely phrase, the dizziness of freedom. And he and his successor Heidegger spoke about the anxiety that's in every day that comes with a sense of our incompleteness, a sense of our mortality, a sense of our fragility, and we cover it over. Much of our activity, they would say, every week and every day is an attempt to set aside the impingement of nothingness on our being covering with order and activity, so that when your spouse says to you, what's wrong, and you say, nothing, there's more truth and depth in that than you might have thought. You remember Bonhoeffer, the iconic figure in dealing with derision and trouble and evil in our time. He who wrote, yes, that Christ is the center of Bible and church and theology, but Christ is also the center of humanity and reason and culture and life. Bonhoeffer, who reminded us that only those who obey believe and only those who believe obey, that you will discover the living Christ in his phrase again, the free experiment of daily living. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. My roommate and I, after about a month at Union Seminary in 1976, realized that we were living in the room that Bonhoeffer inhabited in the 1930s. He stays with us. He who, opposing Hitler, lost his life, and months, only months, before the hanging was able to write, it's in your hymnal at page 517, by gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered, confidently waiting, come what may. We know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. It makes me think of Howard Thurman. I see his name and I reflect. Standing at 2 a.m. on the Daytona beach, stars and moon above, the ocean and the night surrounded my little life with a reassurance that could not be affronted by any human behavior. The ocean and the night gave me a sense of existing beyond the confines of space and time. Death would be a small thing in the sweep of that natural embrace. Here is the gospel, Matthew 6, 31. You have the power, receiving the gift of faith, to face the world free from the world. Faith is a gift. 
It's not something constructed in your garage on a weekend. Like all the great good things of life, it is a gift, like life itself, like forgiveness, like friendship, like love, like the promise of eternal life. Faith is a gift. Do you remember the autumn? It seems to me it's about seven years ago. But there was, I believe, a set of political debates in the autumn. Seems so long ago, it's hard to remember. And our now president, then candidate, ran into some criticism. The thing about criticism is that it's usually partly true. It takes some maturity to listen. So, and this may have had to do with that great rhetorical height in American English history of the lipstick on the pig. I can't remember quite which. But he went before the cameras, and he smiled, and he spoke. And then he did something. He took his right hand, as I'm taking mine, and he put the knuckles of that hand against the left shoulder, as I'm doing, and he just swept, flicked, brushed what had been aside. Now, when you go home to remember this verse, you could do that because it's metrical, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You could even try it here in church, but I mean this is New England. We don't want to get in your personal space or anything. We don't want to get all slobbery with you. We're, we're going to be careful of that Emersonian individualism, but you know if you're in the choir and you might just want to think about it. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious aplenty for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for prayer, I invite you to stand, to sit, to come forward and kneel at the altar as it is your tradition to do so. Now let us sing together the call to prayer. Lead me, Lord. Creator God, in you we live 
and move and have our being. You have blessed us with the gift of life, days of sun and days of rain, days of joy and days of difficulty. In this mystery of your creation, in the midst of this beauty, this complexity, we call to you for the refreshing waters of your unyielding grace. We thank you for the refreshing waters of your unyielding grace. Source of life, who breathed out your spirit on the disciples and called forth the church, empower and strengthen the witness of your church throughout the world that, true to its calling, it may embody your radical and boundless love. In community, in this world together, in life together, we people from all nations, tongues, and traditions come together to share the good news of love abundant. Together, may we embrace our lives and the lives of others with courage and compassion. God of life, give us strength as we cry out. Lift up those who suffer poverty, injustice, and impression and the struggles of our neighborhoods, and the trials of our economy, and in the pain of our war. Open the ears of our hearts so we may hear and respond in love. May those who govern the nations of the world use their authority with wisdom, kindness, and peacefulness. Awaken in them a thirst for justice that embodies your care for this earth and for the human community. Awaken in us compassion and use us as agents of loving kindness. Gathering these prayers together, these petitions spoken aloud, and all the prayers we hold in our hearts, with our hearts as one, we pray as Jesus taught his disciples, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power,
a warm welcome to Marsh Chapel this morning. We want to welcome again to our worship service today Dean Ken Elmore, Dean of Students at Boston University. Dean Elmore has graciously agreed to help us in our concluding litany and the benediction today. Please take a moment to greet the Dean after the service, and we are very grateful for his presence and voice here at Boston University. We would also like to thank Mr. Todd Clipp, General Counsel for BU, for the last two weeks of his teaching in our morning forum about mission work in Uganda. Now we would like to help you get to know each other and for us to get to know you. If you would please fill out the red friendship pads that are found at the end of each row, I would encourage you to do so right now. As you pass them, I would also encourage you to notice the names of the people worshiping around you. We also offer coffee and conversation downstairs after the service as another way to get to know each other. Please come down and introduce yourself. We would also like to hear from our radio and internet listeners. Our contact information is on the Marsh Chapel website, and there is also an opportunity there for online giving. In our community this week, there are many events and announcements, and I encourage you to look at your bulletin for more information and the website for more details. One thing to note is that in your bulletin right now is a form for the Easter lilies that are available for purchase. Please fill out the form and you can either drop it in the offering plate or bring it downstairs to the church office. Now walk in love as Christ has loved us.
deliver these gifts back to you. And we pray for their right management to serve your world, your creation. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Closing benediction litany. As we close our worship service, let us do so in memory and hope for those who have come before us and still guide us from afar. As we enter another week, let us do so in memory and, and hope for Howard Thurman, who came before us and guides us still. For Howard Thurman, who was a hundred years ahead of his time 50 years ago. For Howard Thurman, the champion of the disinherited, the officiant of the marriage of heart and head, the angelic herald of common ground. For Howard Thurman, who said, People of all people belong to one another. For Howard Thurman, who wrote, The ocean and the night surrounded my little life. Death would be a small thing in the sweep of that natural embrace. For Howard Thurman, who sang, Today I make my sacrifice of thanksgiving.
For Howard Thurman, who preached in silence, admired penguins, taught a king, and celebrated what is shared in love. The religion of Jesus makes the love ethic central. Amen. 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 Amen.